Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, which is on page 1161 on the Church Bibles. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you so much for reading, Joshua. My name is Nathan. It's really lovely to see you here today. Um, if you're visiting or here for the first time, or if you're here for the hundredth time, brilliant to see you. And we'll be looking at that part of, of the Bible. So do keep it open, page 1161, as we work our way through 2 Corinthians. But it's, a, it's an amazing passage, lots in there, and I really need God's help. So I'm going to pray um, for us and for me as we begin. Father God, thank you for this, oh, this precious bit of, of the Bible. Thank you for the way we just heard it read. Thank you for oh, the many truths contained in it. And I pray that as we uh, dwell on that, explore these things, think about them more, Lord, that you would speak into our lives so that we don't just see these things as uh, sort of only relevant to maybe those people that heard it for the first time or for people that lived a long time ago, but would you show us the relevance of it in our lives and our day-to-day -day lives? And please, would you use me? Uh, Lord, would you give us ears to listen this evening? In Jesus' name, amen. picture should come up behind me of a man called John Stott. Uh, some of you might have come across him. He was uh, one of the most famous preachers, church leaders of the 20th century in this country. He was chaplain to the Queen. It's quite a good gig, isn't it? To get to go into Buckingham Palace maybe and things like that. He was uh, an author of more than 50 books, quite impressive. And he was even in 2005 listed on the 100 most influential people in the world by Time magazine. But one of my favorite stories about him is, is uh, well, slightly different. He went to Australia, to Sydney. He was invited out there to speak um, at a university mission, sharing the good news of Jesus with the um, students out there in the year 1958. And he had given six lunchtime lectures. There were between 700 and 800 people listening each time when he spoke. That's amazing, isn't it? Not a huge response over these six lectures. Um, not People sort of seemed to like it, but, you know, he hadn't heard a lot of uh, feedback or anything like that. But the final meeting, there were a thousand people gathered, cramped into this room. People were sitting on the stage, standing at the back. The only problem was that he came down with the Sydney bug. 
like, I don't know if you guys from Australia know if this is the Sydney bugger just a bug in Sydney. I don't know if it's a special thing. But it hit him pretty bad. That meant his voice had, had gone. And he sat by the phone the night before and sort of thought, I need to ring up and, and cancel because no one will be able to hear me, anything that I say. But they managed to persuade him to speak. And, and he said this. He said, all I can say is that I croaked into the microphone in a monotone. I was utterly unable to modulate my voice or exert any personality in any way. But all the while I was crying to the Lord to fulfill his promise to perfect his power through my weakness. He got to the end of the talk and he thought, gosh, that was, I got through it, not great, but, you know, croaked it out. And at the end he thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to invite and ask anyone if they want to become a Christian tonight. And he wrote that there was an immediate and reasonably large response that I think is a sort of understated British way of saying loads of people became Christians that night. And actually more than that, he, he said he went back to, to Sydney, went back to Australia seven or eight more times. And every time he went back, someone would come up to him and say, do you remember the, the final service in the 1958 mission when you lost your voice? And he would say, yeah, I do. And every single time someone said to him, yeah, I came to Christ that night. We're in this series then, 2 Corinthians. And it's called The Gospel According to Weakness. So that's a complete opposite to, to what the, the Corinthians wanted, what we often want, weakness, okay? We often want a kind of Instagram Christianity, polished, perfected, impressive. No weakness, failure, smallness. But Paul says, no, the authentic Christian kind of ministry is, is a ministry that often looks very weak. But as John Stott found out that evening as he preached, through his weakness, God can display his power, his glorious power through our weakness. Because we have a glorious new covenant ministry. We've been thinking about that. We, we have the gospel and so therefore we don't lose heart. I know we've been singing about that, but just look again on, in your Bibles at verse 1 at the top of page 1161. There Paul says, he's writing, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Verse 16, bottom of the page, therefore we do not lose heart. We don't give up, that's what he's saying. And he gives us three reasons that we're going to work through why we don't lose heart. First of all, this will be on your handout if you want to take notes. We don't lose heart because our weakness and sufferings show off the power of God. All right, if you were, if you were God, just bear with me. Uh, if you were God and you wanted the gospel, the good news about Jesus, to, to advance, to go to the ends of the world, what, what kind of person would you choose to, to do that? You, you've got 7.8 billion people is it in the world charlotte will tell me later if i got that wrong um who would you choose would it be someone with the the oratory skills of winston churchill or the twitter following of Katy perry or rihanna i don't follow either of those but anyway uh who would you choose well look who god chooses in in verse seven the first verse in our passage this is god's way we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. This treasure then. We saw verse 6. 
a previous verse, we looked at it last time, the, the treasure, the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ, this, this amazing treasure of the good news of Jesus. Paul says that that, that is entrusted to who? The, the influencers? No. The insignificant and fragile followers of Jesus. How does he describe such people? Verse 7, jars of clay, clay jars. I don't know if any of you have uh, watched Time Team. don't think it shows anymore. It wasn't great. Uh, Channel 4, it would sort of have some archaeology geeks and they would hear that there's someone might have discovered in West Sussex or something, a, a, an old sort of Roman village, and they would get the cameras and dig it up and sort of find all sorts of exciting things. Uh, it's sort of quite slow, maybe Sunday evening TV, if, if you want to catch an episode when you go home. Um, but in Time Team or something like that, if they found an old cl- uh, clay jar, no one, got, no one gets particularly excited by that, okay? You don't say, quick, get the, get the cameras, quick, we don't want to miss this. It's just a clay jar. We've all seen the, the kind of pictures, haven't we? It was uh, an ordinary container. You could have carried wine, oil, grain, that kind of thing around it. Maybe it would last for one year, maybe two, and then a kid would kick it over or something, and it would be easily broken, fragile. And Paul's saying the priceless treasure of the gospel is is carried around in ordinary, broken people like you and, and like me. Ordinary vessels, jars of clay. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 1, where, do you remember Paul says, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, the weak things of this world to shame the strong. It's not an accident, but it's God's design so that it will be blindingly obvious, blindingly obvious that this all-surpassing power to bring people from from spiritual death to spiritual life is not found in us, but it's found in God. Do you remember Paul's weakness? As I said, it it was a source of embarrassment for the church in Corinth. And there were these super apostles, other teachers around, and they were, they prided themselves in their appearance, and maybe they were educated at the sort of Corinth campus of Eton College where they were trained in public speaking and and very impressive and they saw Paul as always very unimpressive compared to them but do you see what Paul's saying he's saying that if he was strong if he looked impressive then people might think that the power came from him not from God they might say Paul is great not God is great Paul just knew that he was a jar of clay, and that meant that he could be emotionally honest. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says this. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. This sums up his Christian ministry. When we, I think probably next year, when we're in chapter 11, we, we see this in full HD, full color, what he was going through, okay? Prison floggings, um, beatings, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. Paul had been through everything, okay? Yet rather than losing heart, he saw this as an arena where God's power could be seen through his weakness, meaning that he wasn't crushed, didn't despair, 
wasn't abandoned, wasn't destroyed. And Paul wants us to know that this, this isn't unusual. It's not a mistake, but this is ordinary Christian living, following in the way of a saviour, Jesus Christ, who was himself beaten, mocked, and scorned. See, Paul's experience, it won't be ours all of the time, okay? But we do follow in the pattern of a saviour who says, take up your cross and follow me. And the pattern of Paul and, and countless faithful Christians since is this pattern of, of dying, the process of dying, of, of suffering, so that the resurrection life of Jesus might be seen and revealed, so that the gospel might spread through weakness. Do you get the principle here, okay? I'll move on in a sec, but I just want us to really get this. That our weakness is not an awkward problem. It's essential, it's necessary, so that God's power might be displayed. Let me put it like this. If you were here last week, um, you'll see that... Sorry, very rustly. Uh, you'll see last week, with the kids, we, we, we had this um, fake bar of gold. <laughs> Pretend it's real. This bar of gold. And we said, this is like the gospel. It's, it's, Jesus, it's, it's a treasure. It's valuable. Okay? But it's, it's like Paul's saying here, that the gospel is is displayed in us, and we're a bit like a sort of fruit and veg bag. I don't know if you've ever been compared to that before. Um, and, and look, we're, we're sort of, the gospel message is, is hidden in, in us, in this bag, like this, okay? And, and we're pretty fragile and impressive. But actually, the more that, that, well, we're ripped, the more that we suffer in different ways, the more actually that the, the good news of Jesus is, is shown, <laughs> is displayed as, as more and more is ripped off, the more and more we suffer. I know that's quite hard to sort of get our heads around, but it's kind of what Paul is, is saying here. And that means, doesn't it, that faithful Christians quite often shouldn't look gloriously successful, but will quite often look weak. I don't know if any of you um, subscribe to kind of like a missionary magazine or prayer letters of people in ministry. Don't worry if you don't, but some of us might. And, uh, and every now and then in the post, you get a glossy magazine. And it says wonderful things that have been happening in that organization or that kind of person's ministry. People have come to Christ. The, the numbers are growing. We're doing a new church plant. We've got a new building. Fantastic. And that, praise God, that's brilliant. I wonder how often they say, do you know, things have been really, really hard. They've been really rough. We're hard-pressed on every side. We're really struggling. Some of us will know Adam Pimble up at Crouch End and uh, his friends of mine and, and others here um, from the church that was grafted from, from Trinity. And, and actually over the last year, um, he's, he's had a really hard time. <laughs> he's had real problems with his heart and he's been to see um, surgeons who have looked at it. Often they've been perplexed, not knowing exactly what's going on. He's known, I think, this feeling of being hard-pressed on every side, emotionally, physically, spiritually, through all that's gone on. I wonder, perhaps, though, if him struggling and suffering in this way, that, that actually maybe even through that, that something of the gospel has been seen as he's pressed on, as the church has persevered and kept shining this light of the gospel into the community. Adam would know that he's just a, a jar of clay, I'm just a jar of clay. 
Do you know, your heroes, I don't know whoever they might be, um, John Piper, Tim Keller, Kirsten Guthrie, I don't know who it is for you, they're just clay jars. It's tempting, isn't it, for us sometimes to lose heart at, at Trinity, uh, when maybe we, f- we feel and, and seem a little bit weak. Maybe some of us have been a while, we think, oh, if we hadn't have done that graph to, to Crouch End, can you imagine how busy Sunday oh, it would look really, really impressive? be so many people. We would have a full drum kit, because they tick all the drummers, apparently. Uh, we might even have a, a, a building by now. I mean, gosh, that, that would look really cool, really impressive, wouldn't it? I wonder, actually, whether our weakness might be a good thing <laughs> to help us lean and, and rely on the Lord. And this is quite a hard lesson I've found personally to get and understand. I've um, something I've struggled with for uh, for quite a, a few years is, is kind of feelings of inadequacy um, in in ministry, in Christian work, in Christian ministry. Um, it nearly blocked me from from wanting to go into ministry altogether. All I'll go to go to conferences and, and some of the speakers maybe were Oxbridge edu- educated or something like that, and and they just spoke so well and were so eloquent and. I just thought, oh, God, I'm never going to be like that. <laughs> or, um, you know, in a Bible study with, with others who just huge brains and they just knew their Bible so well. And I think, wow, I'm, nev- I'm never going to be like that. <laughs> it's led me to, um, at times in the past, sort of depression and, and tears. And I'm not saying this just for a sob story. Um, I'm saying that actually, I think if I got 2 Corinthians 4 a bit more... <laughs> I wouldn't just accept these feelings of inadequacy. I would actually rejoice in them because through weakness, God's power is displayed. And that's an encouragement, I think, for all of us, isn't it? Maybe you're the kind of person that thinks God can't really use you uh, for whatever reason. Maybe you struggle in depression or anxiety yourself. Uh, Maybe you're a new Christian and you think you might be tripped over by by really hard questions that a colleague might corner you with. Maybe you don't even really want to share the gospel message. Actually, you're exactly the kind of person then that God would delight to use. God's got a track record of using people just like you so that the all-surpassing power might be seen not from us, but from him. And so therefore we don't lose heart. Picking up the pace a little bit. Second point, we don't lose heart because our weakness and suffering brings others to glory. In verses 10 to 11 then, Paul already showed this pattern uh, that he is being given over to death so that others might be brought to life. And he's even more explicit with that in verse 12. This is what he says. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. That's the work of the cross, isn't it? Jesus dying so that we might have life. And verse 14 unpacks what this kind of life is. Have a look down at verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. See, Paul is not going to lose heart and give up because he has a confidence in in a remarkable truth that through the weakness of his ministry, others will be brought to glory. That is the the heaven, new heavens and, and the new earth. 
at being in God's presence with Jesus. And because Jesus was raised from the grave, Paul, well, he stakes his life on the truth that Christians too will be raised on that last day to be with Jesus. And that belief in this this future glorious reality leads him to speak now. That's why he quotes Psalm 116, where, where David's belief in God led him too to speak. Let's just get real for a, for a minute. <laughs> Look, if we truly believed that there was a day in the future where Jesus Christ will return to judge eternal life, eternal judgment, if we truly got that, wouldn't, wouldn't we speak? Even if it's costly, even if it brings suffering. We want to give ourselves to that work. That Paul is not some kind of weird pain junkie who loves a good kind of stoning or a kind of short-term prison sentence. He's not that kind of guy. He just realized that the, the reason that he takes the hits is because he's 100% confident that, that the eternal state of others is way more important than his comfort now. And so he speaks. He's prepared to look weak, weird even, a few years ago, so picture coming up, uh, an earthquake, I think, in so both Turkey and, and Greece, where there was this earthquake. Some people died in this earthquake. It was quite a big one. And uh, as ever with that kind of thing, a rescue team goes out, you know, to, to kind of coordinate the efforts. And they realized quite quickly that there was a three-year-old girl who was missing, a girl called Ida Geskin. It was horrific, you know, realizing and knowing that. And it had been 91 hours and since she had been lost in this earthquake. And uh, the team of the, the rescue team kind of was searching and there was a guy called Nusret Aksoy and he, he was kind of going around searching and he, and he heard a girl crying. He heard a noise of a girl kind of screaming and crying and they, you know, everyone over here just kind of, where's it coming from? And they, they moved all the rubble and found her and she was safe and she was okay. They took her to a hospital. All was well. You imagine later on that night, Nusret Aksoy, this guy who, who was sort of saved her, I guess, rescued her. Later on that evening, if he noticed that he had a big rip down his trousers or some bruises on his arm or a cut on his cheek, is he going to care? No, he's, he's going to remember the face of that little girl that they found. He's not going to worry for a second if he has to get some new jeans or something like that. And similarly with Paul, he was okay taking some hits now if it meant others would hear the good news if others would be in eternal glory. Paul is motivated then by future glory. But did you notice he's also motivated by God receiving the glory now, that thanks and praise might overflow. Look at verse 15. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Someone I read this week said that Paul could hear the far-off music of eternal glory. He could hear praise around the throne to Jesus, and that motivated him. And so he kept speaking, kept doing the work of ministry. He didn't lose heart. Do you know, do you believe what the Bible says about future resurrection? Judgment, eternal life. Or do you see the resurrection as sort of vague and kind of future and 
doesn't really hit my present day-to-day in any way. I wonder if you've ever been on the tube now that the tubes are getting busier and uh, lots more people on. I wonder if you ever see the tube. There's just been loads and loads of countless people there, many of them who don't know Jesus, who without knowing him are, are heading to hell. Let's pray to God that we would be people who would take opportunities to speak, even if that sometimes means taking a few hits, <laughs> that we would open our homes even when we're, we're shattered, or maybe we're just a bit introverted, or we're single, live on our own, and we just think, oh, opening a home for an evening, oh, it's quite full on, so that we might speak to people. Or invite a colleague to a, to a carol service with a flyer. And it's quite soon, isn't it, mentioning carols? Um, but invite them to a carol service, even if we saw them two years ago, go, oh, thanks, and put it in the bin. Invite them again. <laughs> or that we pray for a family member who's said to us, I never want you to speak to me about Jesus again. That we would still pray for them. Or that we would stay in our small flat in London, even if we feel the temptation to go somewhere a bit bigger, but we've started to get to know neighbours and get involved, we would stay there. It's not easy, okay? Paul is not pretending that this is easy. He's hard-pressed, he said, on every side. But as we speak in our, in our weakness, in our suffering, there's a chance that others might be brought to glory, that God might be glorified, So we don't lose heart. And finally, we don't lose heart because our weakness and sufferings prepare us for glory, prepare us for glory. Verse 16, then I said, is the kind of theme tune to the chapter. And that verse again, let me read, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I mentioned John Stott at the beginning, great preacher. The other kind of great preacher, pastor of the 20th century in this country uh, was a man called Martin Lloyd-Jones down at Westminster Chapel. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you on this later, just, you know, sharing this uh, if you want to know. And uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones himself, brilliant preacher, but towards the end of his life, um, was in hospital in his last days, very, very weak. And he he actually lost the ability to speak um, completely. I hadn't realized this um, until I read, read about it recently. And his, his daughter came to visit him, one of his daughters in hospital, and he was sitting in the bed and she was sitting next to it. And he, he opened his Bible at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, and he just pointed down at it. And she said, it, outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed. Is, is that you? And he went. See, like a, gar, a car gathering rust, we're decaying. We're wasting away. I look out, you guys, you're a good looking bunch, the majority of you, but it's true. And actually, the more we throw ourselves into Christian ministry, to be honest, the more we waste away, the quicker. And actually, for the secular person, they see this as the end of the story of the Roman Marcus Aurelius. He said, at the end, all that is left is dust, ashes, bones, and stench. But for the Christian, something glorious is happening. Inwardly, we are, we are being renewed, we are being transformed day by day. 
at the end of chapter 3, verse 18, we're being transformed day by day, more and more, into the image and likeness of, of Jesus Christ, even if it feels slow, even if we feel we're not making progress. If you're a Christian, that is happening to you. Praise God. How's that happening? Well, verse 17, it says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Maybe you look, maybe you hear that you look at this and you hear, Paul, are you having a laugh? Light and momentary? The, the diagnosis for cancer, the, the blackness of depression, being looked over for a promotion at work again because of my Christian values that I hold. And look, Paul is not minimizing these things. He really isn't. He knows all of these things and likely a few more on a first name basis. <laughs> But when held up next to eternity, these things are like a, a raindrop going into an ocean. When life sucks, and, and it really does, doesn't it, at times? Maybe some of you are experiencing that at the moment. It's tempting to think that something has gone sorely wrong. Um, and we sort of put our, our faith on pause until it goes back to normal. But Paul is saying the opposite. He's saying our, our trials, our afflictions are actually one of the ways that, that God gets us ready for the world to come. They're like a massive signpost saying, look, future glory awaits you. One of my really, really good friends is a guy called Ben. And he's just one of these brilliant people. You know, I'm sure you've got friends and know people like this as well. He's just good at anything and everything. So music and graphic design. He's funny. You know, he's good with kids. Like, just one of these brilliant people. Yeah, and actually, he's, he's really struggled for the last few years with a, with a, a shoulder issue. It's kind of causing him serious pain um, every day when he wakes up. And he's, he's gone to see doctors, he's seen everybody, and no one really knows what it is. And a doctor said to him, sat down and said to him a few years ago, look, he's, he's married. He said, look, um, you should have kids now while you can still kind of lift them out of the cot because you might not be able to do that in a few years' time. And actually, it's not been as bad as they thought it was. And I've prayed with him, and we've, we've chatted, and we've shared, and I've, you know, he's cried about it, and all, all these kind of things. And it's really tough. But I wonder whether it's one of the ways that he's being made a little bit more like the Lord Jesus through this, whether it makes him long and wait and point others towards future glory. I, I don't know if we know all the reasons. The Bible says more about suffering than, than what I can say now. But actually sometimes, well nearly always, we need a perspective change. And that's where our last verse comes in handy. Verse 18. What do we do in the present? Well, Paul says, we fix our eyes not on, on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Okay, if we think that this world is, is everything... When suffering comes, well, we want to give up, won't we? We just want to lose heart, pack it in. The only way that this makes sense is if eternal joy and eternal kind of life and relationship with Jesus is a reality. I don't know about you, but I need this challenge on this perspective here. See, if we're living for, for this world alone, then we'll be tempted to, to pin our hopes on our health or our children's education or on comfort or stuff or security. 
and we won't persevere. We'll lose heart because the cost will be too high. It will just be too hard. But if we embrace our weakness, that we are just plastic bags, jars of, of clay, knowing that God's power is magnified in us through that, we'll, we'll take risks. We'll speak knowing that, that actually some might join us in eternal glory singing around the throne of Jesus Christ. We won't live for the comforts of this world. We'll live to the, the world to come and the music of the world to come. See, we're being bombarded. I don't know if you're aware of it. We're being bombarded. I'm being bombarded on a daily basis of people and adverts saying that this world is everything. And then because of that, we believe that. And the, the promotion, it consumes us. Or the bucket list of what we want to hit and travel around Europe and tick off. We're consumed by that. Or, or tasting the finest wines or going to the best restaurants London has to offer. But that will consume us. But Paul says, no, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me pray. Father, these verses are, are quite challenging, very, very challenging actually, to our, our lives and the way that we live and the way that we think the way that we act. But Lord, they're actually really comforting as well. Uh, comforting if, if we've lost people in our lives who trust in Jesus, and we mourn that, of course, but we long to see them again. It's, uh, it's an encouragement. It spurs us on as we want to seek to speak to others about Jesus. I pray that we would remember that we just are like that bag, just a, a clay jar but that we follow a God who is all-surpassing in his power, whose gospel is glorious, and a God that we will spend eternity with. Lord, fuel our heart with, with joy and trust in him. We pray in his name. Amen.